1 through 7, as you're kind of turning there, a little bit of introduction. My name is Jared. Uh, I am one of the teachers here. I'm up here every once in a while. Those last couple of weeks I've been up here quite a lot. Uh, but I'm just on staff here at the branch, and I serve through one of our family groups. I serve through setup, things like that, and also in our pipeline. Uh, a couple of things that are going on this week at the branch. Uh, one, fifth annual chili chow down. That's tonight. It's going to be from 4 to 8 at the Staples Farm. Uh, if you need the address, it is 262 Jack Walker Drive, and that's in Dahlonega. Um, and this is just a fun event. We do this every year. We've got bonfire, hay rides, of course, lots of chili. Uh, so if you haven't signed up for that, just come ahead and come. We'll have plenty of chili for everybody. And this is also a great time to get plugged into a family group if you're not already. Uh, and number two, a next steps class. And this is our class that we offer on membership. Uh, here at the branch, we do covenant membership. What this means is that we are just dedicated to one another as the body of Christ in order to help each other, build each other up to look more like Christ. So even if you're just curious about membership, the branch, you just want to know more, I encourage you to sign up and come to that next week. If you sign up, lunch will be provided. If you don't sign up, you don't get pizza. Sorry. Now, Exodus 17, we're going to be in verses 1 through 7, so I'm going to read it for us, and then we'll pray again, and then we'll jump in. So, Exodus 17, 1 through 7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of the land of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and just your gathering that you have brought us to, and I just pray that as we are here this morning that you will open us to your word, that you will soften our hearts to receive your, your wisdom and your understanding, that you will just teach us all of these good things, Father, that you have given us. In your son's name we pray, amen. So once again, we see Israel complaining, they're grumbling against God's commandments and the instructions through Moses. And we start to really see how hard their hearts have gotten when we get to this story in Exodus 17. And what we would expect for them to happen is for them to be judged like Egypt. Uh, if we look back a couple of weeks to Exodus 15, verse 26, he warns them, be diligent, listen to my commands, and I will be your healer. Uh, and so what we've got in our mind is this expectation of them, what should happen, the consequences, right? But what we see instead of God striking them with the plagues, instead of bringing judgment, he gives them mercy. He gives them what they need. He provides for them. And that's the big point of this morning, that we desperately need Christ. Without Him, we can only respond with hardened hearts and doubting. 
So Israel, uh, as we've said, they are in the desert. There is no water. They're thirsty. Surprise, surprise. That's what happens when you're in the desert for a long time. Uh, And if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, this passage should sound very familiar. That's intentional. Uh, Biblical authors use repetition. They use some of these tools to kind of show emphasis, right? So like how we would bold something or italicize something. They just repeat it over and over again so that you get the point of what's happening. If you're like me and you're a slow learner, it's not until like the fourth, the fifth, the sixth time that you finally get something and you're like, okay, that's a good idea. I should remember that. Uh, And so that's why the biblical authors kind of repeat these things. And it's also why we study through the Bible like we do expositionally verse by verse. So we don't miss the intentional repetition that Moses is giving us here. And so a couple of things that I want to remind us of to kind of help prime the text. Uh, One, we are not supposed to respond to this story with judgment and looking down on the people of Israel, right? So we are just as much sinners as they are. And we're going to look at this a little bit more later, but we're supposed to take this story as a warning sign. uh, It's a, a story to teach us not to follow in their footsteps, And number two, God has intentionally led Israel out in the wilderness for their good, for their spiritual formation, so that he may train them and teach them how to be his people. It's not like they're taking the the Sinai highway, this isn't the way to get to Canaan. This is an intentional path that God has put them in. Uh, And we see that he's actually placed these obstacles in their way, because it is only when God challenges us, when things get difficult, that we start to see how our faith really is. We see the true nature of it. So the responses that we see from Israel this morning really teach us a lot. So let's look at verses 1 through 4. So all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us, to kill our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And again, this is the portion of the text that should sound familiar. We should uh, have red flags going off at this point of we've been here before, we've seen this before. Uh, But what we start to see this week is Israel is starting to take things just a little, little too far. They're taking it farther than they did in their last stories. Uh, sure, there was grumbling. There was complaining. Uh, they were saying, you know, we're thirsty. Give us what we want. Uh, but this week, they go much farther. So first, we see that they are starting to demand these things from God, right? They're starting to get uh, comfortable with the promises and the things that He's given them. He's provided for them in the past. He'll provide for them in the future. But their attitude is the issue with that. They've started to demand it. They've started to uh, say, give us what we want, right? Uh, I think, like, we just got a puppy. We got a dog. So whenever she wants to go out, she barks and whines and does this thing. And this is kind of the picture that we see from Israel, that they're starting to whine. They're starting to demand what it is that God should give them. And this is an extremely different prayer than the one we saw back in Exodus 15, right? So you remember, they cross through the Red Sea, and immediately they break out in psalms and hymns, praising God, uh, all the good things He does. They supply uh, all these good things, right? Uh, But now their prayer is completely different. This is simply a list of demands that they want to have met. And notice as well that they're still talking to the wrong people. They're still grumbling and complaining to Moses instead of God. It's almost as if they completely missed the story from the last 
two chapters. Uh, so we also see that they go as far as to call God a murderer. This uh, accusation is almost baffling. Uh, one of the commentaries that we've used a lot, Ripken's story on Exodus, he talks about this story as if it's almost a trial. They use legal language, they do legal things, and so in this moment when they're calling God a murderer, they're not just asking him a question. They are accusing him of doing something wrong. Of course, this makes no sense. If he was a murderer, if he wanted these things for them, he would have just left them in Egypt. He would have left them to die, or he would have struck them with the plagues themselves. Why deliver them from the hands of Egypt just to let them slowly die in the wilderness? doesn't make any sense. We see also that they wanted to murder Moses. When Moses cries out to God, he talks about how the people are ready to stone him. Uh, they're going as far as to kill the man that has successfully led them to this point. And how could these things have taken such a drastic turn so quickly? How could they go from praising to grumbling to murder and blasphemy against the very character of God, the one that has led them so far? And this just shows us how corrupting and how deceiving sin can be. How in two chapters of text it can turn a people that are for God into a people that is a mob, right? It's turning them violent and angry. And it has this, sin has this cascading effect where it starts out as something small and it grows and it grows until suddenly we're destroyed by it, right? Think back to the garden. Adam and Eve, they started with just taking this fruit. They had the idea this could make us like God. Seems small enough, not a big deal. Uh, but this is where sin starts. And in the next chapter, we see brother murdering brother. We see Cain and Abel. Um, things are going bad so quickly. Uh, and one thing that I really love, uh, I'm a big C.S. Lewis guy, so the metaphor he uses in Narnia, if you've ever read Narnia, great. If not, spoilers, sorry. Uh, when the youngest brother, Edmund, he finally makes it into Narnia, he's greeted by this evil witch. Uh, and she offers him this food and this drink. It's Turkish delight. Never found out what that is, but the point of the food is that it was enchanted, and it was done so in a way that when you had one little bite out of it, it's all you could think about. It would completely consume you, and it talks about how you would want more and more and more until eventually you would eat so much that you would die. And this is what happens here uh, to this youngest brother. He, he tries this first bite, and he gets so entrapped and so uh, enchanted by this food, he was willing to betray his siblings kill a kingdom, kill the innocent. And that is what happens with our sin. We get a little bite out of it, and we just want more and more and more. This is why we're warned about it again and again. Uh, in Genesis 4, uh, it talks about sin is crouching at the door. First uh, Peter 5, it talks about sin is like a lion seeking someone to devour. And it's giving this sense of almost like it's something that's alive that can grow, that is seeking to destroy. And this is why Moses takes this intentional time to warn us again and again of how dangerous sin should be and why we should stay away from it. But if we are so inclined to our sin, if we love it, if it grows, if it destroys us, why wouldn't God just destroy us and start over? Why not make a creation that is sinless? Makes sense. But his response is anything but destruction and death. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. 
And Moses did so in the sight of the elders and in sight of Israel. So God's response is one of mercy and love. And like I said, if we look back to Exodus 15, 26, he tells them, Diligently listen to the voice of your God, your Lord, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes. And I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. So Israel clearly deserved this wrath. Like God said, if you follow my commandments, I will heal you. This is what he has promised. Uh, And so when Moses picks up the staff, we have to pay attention to the purposeful language here, right? He tells them to pass on, to pass over, right? He's linking them back to think about the Passover. He picks up the plague staff, the danger staff, right? The one that he struck the Nile, the rocks, uh, the gnats appeared, the frogs. All these things happened with the staff. So at this point, Israel's probably going, "Uh uh-oh, we messed up. He's got the staff. He's coming for us. But that's not what happens here. Uh, Instead of striking Israel, he strikes the rock and provides for them. And this is no longer a test. This is where it differs from the last two stories, right? The last two stories it mentions specifically that this was a test for Israel to see how they would do, to see if they would follow. It's not mentioned in this story. And so this shows that this is no longer a test for Israel. This is something different happening. Uh, God is using this instance. He's using it to show them one, showcase his glory, who he is, his character, and two, to show the love that he has for Israel. He shows this in verse 7 if we keep going. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And this last verse is very informative uh, for what's going on in Israel's heart, what is going on in this story. And actually, this is probably what we talked about most at Family Group this week. Um, Israel believed that God had vanished, that he had abandoned them, that they were stuck to die, that they were in trouble, basically, because he was just gone. Which, quick side note, that's not the case. That is not the God that we worship. That is not the God that we love. Uh, And it's so easy to fall into this trap when we're suffering, when things are not going right, to wonder, where is God? Is he here to start doubting, to start listening to the enemy when he tells you these lies, that is not the case, and that is not the God that we have. We have a God that even in our doubting, even in the times where we wonder, is he still here, he still shows up on the rock. He still shows up to provide for us and to give us what we need. And this is how he shows the love that he has for Israel, that even in this unbelief, he still shows them why they should believe. And John Calvin puts it this way, talking about their belief. It should be on the screen. Uh, Hence it follows that the root of the whole evil was their unbelief, because they neither ascribed due honor to God's power, nor believed to him to be his true promises. And this instance of doubting, this, this wasn't the action that kept them out of the promised land. This isn't what they did wrong that made them journey in the wilderness for an extra 40 years. But we know that it is this attitude, this attitude and this unbelief which kept them from the rest that God had promised, the rest of the promised land. Um, and so this is the God that we have, that even when we don't believe, He's still going above and beyond to provide for us, to give us these miracles so that we can plainly see that God is still here. Moses reflected on this event uh, later in life. Uh, if you'll turn with me to Deuteronomy 6, 16 through 25, he talks about this instance, and he continues to warn them uh, to tell Israel, 
what they need to do before they enter the promised land. And he says this, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may go well with you and that may you go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all the enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And when he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. That's the important part. Uh, That we might preserve us alive as we are this day. So when Moses reflected on the wilderness, the wanderings, the understandings, the purpose that they had for the journey, he knew that God was preparing them uh, to go into the promised land, right? He says intentionally, it was for their good always. And he says this and he comments on these things so that we can understand why it is that God puts us in these difficult situations, why he commands us to do these things, right? It's like how we teach our children not to run out in traffic. You don't go on a busy street. Clearly, they don't see the bus that's coming to knock them out, right? This is how God is commanding and directing us. He wants us to avoid the bus. He wants us to be safe. And Moses understood that we needed to follow in these commandments so that we would not forget who God is, that we would not fail to enter his rest that he has promised us like this generation of Israel did. Um, And this example was given to us so plainly that we might understand God's mercy so that we could understand why we need Christ so desperately. And Paul understood this picture, and it's kind of a weird metaphor, so I'm glad he said it so I didn't have to think of it. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 10.4, he says, All drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Like I said, weird metaphor, right? This is an image. This is a, um, a metaphor of Christ. The rock in the wilderness was a type of rock, uh, Christ. It was a Christophany. This is just a fancy seminary term for uh, Jesus showing up in the Old Testament, right? So where we can see him and understand something larger to come. And I know this sounds like a weird metaphor, but look again at what's happening in the story. People of Israel had broken God's commandments, just like we break God's commandments. They deserved wrath for what they had done, uh, and Moses even had the staff to dish it out, right? And so you think at that point, they're going to get struck. And so what happens instead is that God says, I will go stand by the rock. Hit the rock instead. Almost as if he is saying... uh, Instead of striking you, I will strike myself. And this is what we see from Christ, that instead of uh, us getting hit with the wrath, the judgment that we deserve, that instead he stood in our place, that instead of us getting the punishment, it was dished out on his own son. And this is why Paul understood the story to be pointing forwards to Jesus. This is why we should understand it. That although we were the ones that sinned and while we deserved the punishment, Jesus came, he lived the perfect life, and he was struck for our transgressions so that we may live instead. And this just shows why we so desperately need Jesus. We see that he was struck so that we 
could believe so that we would not die. Had the rock not been struck, had Jesus not stood there, um, if the rock wasn't there, Israel wouldn't have had the water that they needed so desperately. We would not have received the life that we needed so desperately. Uh, We also see that from this, he provides from them and he sustains them. Uh, The water that came out, it's what sustained Israel while they were in the desert, in the wilderness. Uh, In the same way, Jesus talks about the water that he pours out for us. And he says this in John 7, verses 37 through 39, that on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For yet, as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So that we, we see that uh, in our hardness of heart, in our difficulty of understanding that Christ is there to pour out his Spirit so that we might understand And we so desperately need it, right? We talk about all the time how much easier life would be if we still had the fire tornado to guide us like Israel had it. Uh, But imagine being that guy that's, he's there, he's eating the manna, he's eating the bread, he sees this water that's coming out of a rock kind of magically, he's staring at this pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, and he's questioning, is God still here? If the enemy can deceive Israel into thinking that God had abandoned them when clearly he was there, his presence was there, it is still easy for us to be deceived in the same way. And that's why we need Christ to convince us, His Spirit to show us otherwise, why that is not the case. We must believe in Christ so that we can have this life, so that we can have uh, the Spirit that He pours out of us, so that we can live. Turn with me to Hebrews uh, chapter 3, verses 4 through 15. And this is uh, what the author of Hebrews says concerning what happens to Israel at Massa and Meribah. Hebrews 3, 4 through 15. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you any evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin." For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And so we can apply this text in two main ways. Uh, The first one, uh, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you any evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take the story from Israel as an example. Take this warning. Uh, It says in other places, take heed lest we fall. So we need to listen to the story and not be like them, not to be like in their disbelief where uh, we can clearly see all the good things God has done and still question if He is there. Do not harden your hearts. Listen to the Word of God and be very careful not to fall into temptation as they did. And number two, uh, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. And like I said, it is so easy to doubt God's presence 
when we are in the middle of suffering. It is easy to fall into temptation. Uh, The enemy can be so deceitful. And this is why we have each other, to encourage another, to exhort one another. And this is why we have family groups. It's why we have our covenant membership. It's why we are here together, uh, so that we don't have to do this alone. This is why the author of Hebrews told us, urge one another on, encourage one another every day. This is why we should disciple one another, because we cannot understand our own hearts. And it takes somebody else pointing at it and saying, I think you're, you missed it here, pointing it out for us to get it and to understand what it is that, that Christ so desperately wants, that he just wants us to believe and know who he is and what he has done for us. So as we, we enter this time of communion, I just want us to reflect on those two things. One, do you believe in Christ? Plainly put, uh, we know that if we do not, that we are bound to die, and just like the Israelites would have died in the wilderness without him. That if we don't know that he died for our sins, that he came and lived so that we can live and be with God, then we will go astray in every way. Two, take heed. Remember this lesson from Israel. Do not fall in the same way they do. And three, be with each other. Encourage one another. So I just pray that if you don't understand some of these things, if you don't know who Jesus is, please find one of us. Uh, We'll be off to the side, kind of over here near the coffee pot. Uh, We'd love to talk to you, tell you more about it. And I pray that, that we will just remember these things and that God will be with us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you how you have provided for us from the rock, how you have struck yourself instead of striking us in the way that we deserved, that even though that we can only respond with hardened hearts, that we can only respond in disbelief, that you came and taught us what we need to do in order to know who you are, Father. And I just pray that uh, we will know you deeply, that we will know you desperately, that as we go out in the world this week, that we will just drink deeply from your spirit, from the rock that you have given us, uh, that we will be sustained by it, that we will not listen to the deceit and the lies that the enemy tells us, but we will listen to you and every word that you have given us, Father. And I just pray that we will live these things out, that you will just strengthen us as we do. Thank you for everything you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.